So um, when each of our kids were born, my wife began praying for them and specifically for whomever they would eventually marry if they were to marry. And um, so I would say our son-in-law, Clay, and our daughter-in-law, Tiffany, are answers to pretty much, you know, tw over 20 years of daily prayers. And uh, we could not be happier or more proud. Um, and, you know, when Tiffany said she might cry, then I thought, okay, if she cries and I'm gonna cry, and it's going to be a mess. So thank you for not <laughs> crying. So anyway, um, so also thank you to Rich for uh, allowing me to um, uh, serve you today and allowing me to bring the word to you. I'm excited about this and uh, really grateful to him as a friend and as a fellow pastor and uh, the opportunities had to be able to serve here and to help out and help Jordan out. And so we really enjoy this. Today we're going to talk about love. <laughs> and that's the question what is what is love uh love is strange among other things uh love is strange it's one of those things where it's difficult to define but we know it when we see it or we know it when we experience it it's hard to sit down and write out a definition but it's like you know it when you're in it kind of a thing and so I'm going to start off with a passage from 1 Corinthians 13. It, it might be familiar to you if for no other reason that it's often read at weddings. Okay. If I speak human or angelic languages, but do not have love, I'm a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm what? Nothing. If I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain what? Nothing. Nothing. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying is that all of our good deeds, all of our amazing gifts fall far short of any potential impact they could have if we don't have love. But then there's still the question. Yes, what is love? You know, he's kind of everybody what you say, you got to have love. You got to be loved. You got to love. Everybody wants to be loved. You know, there's all sorts of songs written about it. You can be stoned in love, stupid in love. There's punk rock love. You know, the list goes on and on. What is it? And so we also need to understand what this means for followers of Christ, children of God, because we believe that God is the purest example manifestation of love, of what love is. And so we look to God, but even then it's still hard to design. Well, how do I act like God? You know, I've known some people say, you know, they were, used to wear the bracelets, what would Jesus do? But apparently Jesus would eventually stop wearing a bracelet that asks, what would Jesus do? I remember there was all sorts of what would Jesus do, you know, merchandise out there. I even found online, you could buy WWJD boxer shorts. But I kind of thought like, you know, if you're down to your boxers, 
That's probably a little late to be asking, what would Jesus do? <laughs> it's like, it's like I think, as my dad used to say, that horse already left the barn. Yeah. So God's love demonstrates value. God loves somebody or something because it's valuable to him. In fact, if you go through different passages in the New Testament, especially where it talks about God's love and it talks about emulating God's love, you can actually take out the word love and insert the word value. So I want to start with a really well-known, really famous verse in John 3:16. You know, everybody used to know what John 3:16 said because they watched football. Remember, there was always that sign that said John 3:16. The sign never said what John 3:16 says, it just said John 3:16. So John 3.16 says, For God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. And so when it talks about God loving, you can take out the word love and put in the word value, and it's always accompanied by an action that demonstrates value. For God values people in this way that He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God values people, so he did something that communicates that value. Does that make sense? Is that tracking? Okay, another example. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But God demonstrates his own love for us, and in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now we can do the same thing. Trade out the word love for value, but God demonstrates his value for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, way before we ever knew about it, way before I ever thought about it, way before it ever occurred to me, then wonder if God loves me or that I might need forgiveness. Any, before any of that stuff ever crossed my mind, God had already demonstrated how important I am to him, how, how much he values each and every human being by pouring himself into the form of a man, Jesus Christ, and dying on the cross for every single person he's ever, who's ever lived. And so God demonstrates value by doing something. And so there's the problem, and this is where it becomes challenging. When we get to this part, often people are like, hey, I'm totally cool with the idea that God loves me. I'm good with that. I like that. That part's easy. The creator of the universe digs me. Cool. That's great. But then we hit, a, we hit an obstacle. Because then there's the whole principle of loving God and loving people. And often we try to separate those two things. I'm good at loving God. I like that part. Loving people, nah, not so much. I mean, maybe a couple, couple people I could love, but you know, I don't know. I mean, that, that becomes a little harder and it's not nearly as appealing, but I learned, I really was confronted with this principle a long time ago. You see, uh, one time Joy and I, uh, we were, when we were living over right off of Union Hills, we stopped, my wife Joy's right there. That's my wife and my girlfriend. She's right there. Yeah, totally. And um, so we were out and we stopped in a Circle K. All right. So we're going up to the counter. And I said to the guy behind the counter, I said, hey, 
didn't you used to be over at the other Circle K over there? And he goes, oh yeah, well, well that guy moved to the one over on that corner. And then because he had not, he stopped, he stopped working there. And so then they moved me from over here to over here. And I'm totally tracking with him because I went to Circle K a lot. And so uh, I'm going, oh yeah, and we're chatting. And then we finally leave and Joy goes, you need to get a life. <laughs> she goes, if you have enough time on your hands to be tracking the movement of, you know, Circle K employees. But see, here's why, here's why that happened, all right? One day I was in Circle K, standing behind a guy who was growing ever impatient with the person behind the counter. And the person behind the counter apparently wasn't moving fast enough for this customer. And the customer was, you know, he's doing a lot of, you know, maybe, maybe it's over there. He was getting something from behind the counter, whatever. And then he, and he just is getting more and more impatient. He turns around, looks at me, he's like, Ugh. and I just said, I don't know, it looks like he's working pretty hard. I mean, because basically the guy behind the counter, the, he was trying to figure out what the guy wanted and the guy was just, and so, and I realized that, you know, this customer has no idea who he's talking to. He doesn't know that person. The guy looked like he was working pretty hard. And I've talked to guys behind the counter at Circle K who in the country from which, where they left, in fact, more than often, I'm talking to a guy who's working the counter at Circle K who left a country where he couldn't work as a chemical engineer anymore because of different political situations or economics and stuff like that. And so he comes to America and this is the first job he could get to try to make money to get settled. But this guy is just assuming a lot of negative things about him, this customer. And at that point, I decided I don't ever wanna be that guy. And so I decided from that point, because I often went to Circle K, we're talking multiple times per day, okay? I would go in and I would just say, hey, I'm gonna be respectful. I'd say hello to the guy who's working or whoever's working behind the counter. How you doing? Having a good day? Okay, you know. And so just after a while, you start to get to know people. It's amazing. Be respectful, treat them like they're valuable and you never know, okay? So God's love demonstrates value so that becomes, gives, begins to give definition to this call to love God and love others. Because I can, I can treat something as valuable if I know it's valuable to somebody else. When we first came back here from Texas, we came here in 1992, we went to Texas for four years and then came back in 2011. So we came back, we were staying with some people that became good friends of ours, and I hadn't, we hadn't brought my car over yet. When we moved out, I was driving a truck, towing a trailer, Joy's driving her car, and then, but I didn't have my car yet. And so my friend Bob lent me his car, which was a car I didn't particularly like, but it weren't cheap either. <laughs> and so I remember I was driving this car going, okay, I wish he just had a beater or something he could have lent me because now I feel like really nervous. And so every time I go to a store and like that, I'm parking in the back of the parking lot because I don't want anybody dinging it or anything like that. And you see, that car wouldn't have held a ton of value to me because it wasn't a car I would buy. But it was valuable to my friend. So I could treat it as valuable. I could act like it's valuable because it is valuable. It's valuable to the one who owns it. And the one who owns it is a friend. And so I treat it with value. 
And that lays out the challenge to how do we answer the question, how do I love people? Because really, when you think about it, it's really noble and kind of spiritual to say, well, God loved everyone, and God loved me, and I love God, so I love everyone. And you know what? If I were to say that, that'd be a lie, because I don't love everyone. I don't even like most people. <laughs> you know? And we all probably dislike more people than we like. I mean, there's people all over the place that just annoy us. And it's hard, I mean, to say that we love them. Well, I love them in God's way. No, we don't. We're not God. <laughs> How are you supposed to do that? But if love means value, and God says, I want you to value people. I want you to acknowledge and recognize that every person that God ever created has an inherent value to God. You see, when I was borrowing Bob's car, Bob didn't even ask whether or not this car would be valuable to me. <laughs> he just said, hey, why don't you drive this car? And I was grateful. And it's interesting because when we encounter people, when we have to engage with them, when we get into any kind of relationship, whether it's just a few minutes over the counter at a convenience store, or as somebody we now work closely with, or maybe as somebody that you become friends with, every person, every human being that we lock eyes with on this planet throughout our day, throughout our week, comes to us as is. Has anybody ever bought anything, and in the purchase agreement, it says, as is? What does that mean? As, well, yeah, as is. It means as is. Let's explore further. <laughs> when we see that phrase, as is, what does that mean? Yeah, one tire is missing. That's right. If, it, if you catch a flaw, you own it anyway. No guarantee. Don't expect it to be perfect. And you can't bring it back. <laughs> Don't even think about bringing it back. You buy it as is. Well, guess what? Every person we encounter comes to us as is. But we get it in our minds somehow that they're fresh, they're factory. You know, the factory warranty is there. There's no flaws. And if there's something we end up not liking, well, then we'll just take it back. No. Every person that God calls us to love or to value, guess what? You get them as is. Expect there to be flaws. Expect defects. Expect something to not work right because they're coming to you as is. But here's the thing, when you treat somebody with value, maybe you don't feel any affection for them. But when you treat somebody with value, they will often become valuable to you. Way, way back, way, way. In fact, where Joy and I met, we were both working for this company. And it was one of those companies where you had the warehouse on the ground floor, and then you had offices up above. Has anybody ever worked in a situation like that? Or just part of the facility was warehouse and part of the facility was office. And there's always this like DMZ. 
that goes between them, this kind of, and there's a culture that's different in each one. And generally, the people in the warehouse, they really don't like the snobs in the office, and the snobs in the office don't like the people in the warehouse, right? I mean, there's just that weird kind of thing. And I remember feeling that because I worked in the office, but I also had to go down to the warehouse at least once a day. And I said, I don't want to be like that. And so I decided, all right, there was this one guy named Carl that I often had to approach. So I decided, all right, I'm just going to treat Carl like I care. Guess what? I really didn't care about Carl. But I didn't want to be one of those people that thought the people in the warehouse were worthless. So I started every time I'd walk through the warehouse, be, hey, Carl, how you doing? And he's like, what? You know, hey, man, how you doing? I went over and introduced myself to him. And then I'd walk on. And he'd go, okay. You know, he just thought I was weird. Probably thought I was hitting on him or something like that. You know, so every time that I would go to the warehouse, you know, hey, Carl, how you doing, man? Hey, how are you, John? You know? And then after a while, you know, I'd come through and, hey, John, hey, Carl, dude, you know, we never had a conversation. It was just a whole lot of this, hey, uh, but pretty soon he started greeting me before I came, before I got him, right? But then one day I go to the warehouse and I'm looking for Carl and I'm like, no, Carl's not here. Oh, he must be out sick or something. All right. So then, you know, next day I had to go through again. Carl's not there. All right, well, hope he's okay. So then the third day, I go through, and he's still not there. And I find someone. I said, where's Carl? I don't know. He's probably out sick. And I said, well, has anybody heard anything? You know, well, I don't know. And I said, well, who would know? And so I found the manager, and I said, where's Carl? And he's like, Carl who? Carl, the guy in your warehouse. He hasn't been here for three days. Oh, yeah, Carl. No, he was kind of sick, but he's, he'll be, he's fine. He'll be all right. And I go, okay. You know, well, guess what? I cared about Carl. I still haven't had a conversation with the guy. I don't know anything about him except that he's been sick for three days. But because I made a decision to do something that didn't necessarily come naturally, which wasn't normal for me, I decided to show value to somebody. And guess what? They became valuable to me. Had I not decided to intentionally try to be like Jesus, heaven forbid, you know, I wouldn't have even noticed Carl. I wouldn't have learned his name, and I sure wouldn't have known that he was out sick, and I would not have cared. And so this whole idea of loving God and loving people, when I take out that word love, and put in value, it starts to become doable, becomes tangible, becomes possible. In John chapter 15, Jesus says this, this is my command, love one another as I've loved you. No one has greater love than this, that someone would lay down their life for their friends. Now, I remember the very first time I heard that verse because I didn't grow up in church. I literally did not know that Easter was about Jesus till I was 19. My, the home I grew up in, we weren't hostile toward Christianity. I was just, I, had, I didn't know anything about it. I was indifferent. I, didn't have, I wasn't, wasn't predisposed negatively or positively, but I was introduced to it. 
And then I remember the first time I heard that verse. Wow. Gosh, the greatest demonstration of God's love towards somebody else is laying down your life. And I remember what I, my first thought was like, wow, you, I guess you just get one chance then, one shot at doing this verse. Because, I mean, it's like, you know, save some, for, sacrifice your life for someone else and don't screw it up. <laughs> so I thought, wow, gosh, that's okay. All right. I'm, I'm okay with that. I just hope I don't mess it up because you don't get rehearsal, you know. But it's interesting, though, because then when you do that, you take out the word love and put in the word value, and look what it says. This is my command. Value one another as I valued you. No one has greater value for others than this, that someone would set aside their life for their friends. Now, the reason I changed out lay down to set aside is that phrase that's translated lay down his life actually is translated more often in the New Testament as to take something and put it somewhere else. It doesn't necessarily mean to sacrifice something. It means to move it. And in the case of one's own life, what it's basically saying is greater love or value is not shown than one would set aside their life to show value to someone else. But I remember studying that, realizing that, going, oh my gosh, I can do that. I can do that. I don't have to sacrifice. Maybe what it's just saying is, can I put aside my own life for a day, for a minute, for an hour, in order to show value to someone else, to serve someone else? I can do that. <laughs> I could do that at work. I could do that at home. I can do that at church. I could even do that just out in a store. I can let some, hey, you got a lot of stuff. You go in line in front of me. That's okay. You know, I'm okay. I'm cool. I can hold the door for somebody. I remember when we first moved to Texas, I always thought I was a really nice guy. I had to up my game because people in Texas are a whole lot more polite than I ever was. I mean, the guys are holding the door for one another. I mean, I came from California. You're walking down the sidewalk and you lock, you make eye contact with somebody. You're looking for a fight. You know, it's like, what are you looking at, man? What's right? What? 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 You know, you think you're bad? You know, I mean, in Texas, like, hey, y'all. <laughs> you know, it's like, wow, I had to, I, you know, people let you into traffic. They're holding doors for you, let you cut in line. I'm like, oh my gosh, uh, I'm a jerk. So I had, to, I had to raise the standard quite a bit. Um, but the whole idea is just, you know, what kind of attitude do I bring to a situation? Do I bring an attitude that says every person I encounter, whether it's just someone who, gets, who needs to get in line, if it's someone in traffic, if it's somebody I know, that's an as-is person who is very valuable to God and needs to become valuable to me. But here's the next principle. In Mark chapter 12, it says this, one of the scribes approached Jesus and he asked Jesus, um, when he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, they asked Jesus, which command is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, this is the most important. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And then he goes on in verse 31, 
The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Now notice what he does. There is no other command. The word command there is singular. Those two things, loving God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving your neighbor as yourself are one command. They're one command. And so we tend to think of loving God and loving people as multitasking, like walking and eating. You can walk and not eat. You can eat and not walk, but you can also walk and eat at the same time. And some people think it is like, well, I can love God, I can love people, or I guess I can be loving God and loving people at the same time, but I'm not so great at loving people, so I really focus on loving God and then, you know, when I can, I try to love people. But that's not what Jesus says here. In the, when the Bible, whenever it talks about, when Jesus says, lay down your life for your friends, you know, love your neighbor, that phrase always just doesn't necessarily mean the person who lives next door or somebody with whom you have a friendship. It basically means the person with whom you're dealing at the time. Okay? It's just that person you're dealing with. That person in front of you, maybe it's a stranger, maybe it's somebody you know, whatever, it's just that person with whom you have to deal at the time. You see, it's not like multitasking, it's more like breathing. It's like inhaling and exhaling. How many times can you inhale and not exhale? Try it. It's a short number, so you're not going to, you know, if you want to experiment with it, it won't take long to get the result. Okay. How, much, how much can you exhale without inhaling? Not long. If somebody said, well, I'm really good at inhaling, or maybe if you're running for president, I've never inhaled. I'm good at inhaling. I'm just not, I don't, I don't exhale. I'm not into the exhaling part. Well, then you're doing it wrong. <laughs> and see, what Jesus is saying, I believe... Is, is that if we're saying that we're loving God but not loving people, we're doing it wrong. 1 John chapter 3, also 3.16, there's John 3.16, then there's 1 John 3.16. It said, this is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us that we should also lay down our lives for our brothers or for others. This is what it's talking about. That they go together. You know, it's not two distinct things that we can try to do at the same time. It's two things that make up one thing. It's like the front and back of a coin. A coin has two sides. It's not a coin if it doesn't have two sides, right? If you get a coin and it looks perfect from one side, but then you turn it over and it's blank, you think you have a real coin? No. And so this idea that God demonstrates love by demonstrating value and then calls and expects us, challenges us to grab onto that concept and then communicate that to others. So God pours his value for us into us and then essentially expects and says, if you're doing it right, if you're receiving God's love right, then you are now 
pushing that value out to other people. If I am believing in and accepting that God loves me, that God values me, but I'm refusing to extend that to other people, to show that to other people, then I'm doing this part wrong. To say that I'm loving God, but I'm not loving people, then God would say, but you're not really loving me either. Well, how can you say that? Because you don't do crap for people. You know, what's wrong with you? If you really love me, if you really receive and experience the value that God has for us, then that flows into us and then through us and into the lives of other people. And it doesn't talk, it's not talking about liking, enjoying, or having affection for other people. It's about acknowledging that every person was created by God, that God values them, even if we can't understand why, and only ask that we treat that person as though they're valuable to God. If you've ever been in a work situation and there's something that you have to do, and you know, there's always that thing that everybody goes, why do we have to do this? I don't know, we just do. Or why does a boss, you know, why does a manager, why do they always have us do this? I don't know. But you know how he is, that's a big deal to him, so we have to make it a big deal. Are we familiar with this idea? Okay, so it's not a foreign concept. You could look at somebody and just say, why do we have to value that person? I don't know, because God says so. They're valuable to God, so we got to make them valuable to us. Okay, if I can do it at work, I can do it for God. It's not a foreign concept. And it's not about whether I like it, enjoy it, or even want to. It's just God going, this is what I want you to do. That person's important to me, so treat them like it, because I'm watching. Is it too much to ask? Really? I don't think it is. I want to close with this. In Romans chapter 8. It says, For I am persuaded that not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present, things to come, hostile powers, height or depth, or any other created thing, will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, what this means is that if we have said yes to God's love, if we have said yes to God's grace, this undeserved gift, this, this offer of forgiveness for every sin I've ever committed, along with every sin ever committed by anyone who's ever lived. That if I have said yes to that, and God's offer that a promise that if I died today, I'd be in heaven with him. If I have said yes to this, then there is nothing at all that can separate God's love from me, from you. Nothing at all. Nothing spiritual, nothing material, nothing that we could do. Just like I can't earn God's love through the best things that I can do, I can't lose God's love through the worst. It says there is absolutely nothing that we can do that will disconnect us from that love, that value that God has for us. God created us. He created you. 
because he wanted to. He loves you because he chooses to. He forgives us because he can. And because he can, he does. And he promises a gift of eternal life with him if we say yes to those things that he offers. And then he says, nothing can ever pull the plug, disconnect, invalidate, or deny it. Ever. Ever. No one tells God what to do. Or I should say that differently. Lots of people tell God what to do. God doesn't know anybody anything. He doesn't know me anything. He didn't have to love me. He wouldn't have been sinning if he would have said, well, John, you know, good luck down there. Try to be nice. <laughs> he didn't know us anything. But all he does is give. Over and over again. And he does it because you're valuable to him. You're important to him. Every one of us. Jesus said once in Luke chapter 12, you're so important to God and he's paying attention. He's paying such close attention to you, he knows how many hairs are on your head. In the case of those who have no hair on their head, he knows how many hairs are on your back. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Whatever that detail is, God knows it because he's paying that kind of attention. And we pay attention to something that's important to us, that has value to us. You have value to God. And so does the person sitting right next to you. So does that person at work. So does that person in line at the store. So does that person trying to signal and get over into your lane. So does that person who just cut you off. So does that person at work who said something that, that sounded weird. Why would they say that? Every one of those people that drive us crazy, annoy us, tick us off, get in our way, slow us down, are as valuable to God as you are. Jesus died on the same cross, on the same day, at the same time, and for the same reasons that he died for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and mercy. God, thank you for your love and forgiveness. And God, thank you that you have just decided that every one of us in this room represent great value to you. And God, all you ask is that we would just treat people like they're valuable and important to you. We don't have to like them. We don't have to enjoy them. We don't even have to understand why they're so valuable to you. All you ask is to, is to we treat them like they're valuable to you because they are. And so God, I am reminded of this challenge often, but God, I know this concept changed my life and how I understand this idea and what just seemed like this kind of mystical principle, pie in the sky platitude became something very real that I can either, that I can do.
and that every day we get that challenge. To demonstrate the value that you have for that person and act like that toward them. And just while heads are bowed, I'm not going to ask anybody to stand up, come forward, or do anything like that. So I'm just telling you that now. But if sitting here today, if you have never said yes to God's love and forgiveness, and you want to do that, I just ask that you look up with me, slip your hand up, roll just, just enough for me to see it. If that's something you want to do today. God, thank you that you are eagerly desiring to come into the life of anyone who asks or invites anytime, anywhere. God, thank you for the people in this church who know you and love you. Thank you for the honor that it is to serve with them, among them. And thank you, God, for your word that shows us how we can know you and how the things that you ask of us, God, are not unattainable. They're within our grasp. They're doable. And that, God, I know that you ask so little in return for what you've done for us. God, as we continue to worship, that we would honor you with our lips, that we'd honor you in our hearts, and we honor you as we live out that value that you have for each person we encounter. In Jesus' name, amen.